Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with your host, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Parthenia is a psychologist and certified natural healthcare practitioner who will show you alternative paths towards health with a holistic approach. Call in with your questions or comments at 888-235-7374. And now here's the host of Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. February 28, 2012, and hello to those of you listening some other time to an internet archive within a few minutes of the show close or rebroadcast rebroadcast some other time. Great you remembered our time. Tuesdays live, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, here on Blog Talk Radio. And there is a link on my website. You are listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard, here on Blog Talk Radio. Now, to call into the program, call 619-789-6835. Again, that's 619-789-6835. Now, you can call during the program, of course. Uh, You can go to the Blog Talk Radio homepage, if you like. Select the link there from there by typing in Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, or my name, Parthenia Izzard. Now, to find the program without the link, you need to go to the website, my website, www.amtherapies.com. Sign up for our newsletter, and you will receive an e-card every Tuesday with the rundown for the week. Okay, any problems with the Internet links, give me a call after the program at 866-472-6094. That's 866-472-6094. Now, tomorrow evening we will be doing a rebroadcast of my Nino Lesowitz program. Excuse me. She's the author of Courage Companion, uh, How to Live Life with Power. And on Thursday, a rebroadcast of my Dr. John Kennedy program. Dr. John Kennedy is a medical doctor, and he's the author of The 15-Minute Heart Cure, Release Stress and Improve Heart Health. Okay, now on this program, we discuss alternative medicine therapies, related products and issues, and we do it with the experts. Only try the therapy shared here after consulting with your physician. Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative Medicine Therapies like Iridology, Kinesiology, Reflexology, Energy Medicine, which includes Chi Life Therapy, Acupressure, and Psychological Consultations, has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when Alternative Medicine Therapies with Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. Or call 610-658-0135. Alternative Medicine Therapies. Okay. Oh, Oh, dear. Okay. Seems like we're having some audio interference. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. I guess I'll stop. It seems each week there's a new wrinkle. Last Tuesday. Last Tuesday. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to think this is going to go away. Last Tuesday, we were live with Kathleen McHugh, author of How to Help Children Through a Parent's Serious Illness. Supportive practical advice from a leading child life specialist. Now, if you missed that show, you can go to my website at www.amtherapies.com, click on the radio link to hear the show. 
for appointments with me, face-to-face or remote, and for general information, call 866-472-6094. That's 866-472-6094. And remember, you can purchase the book I co-authored, 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health, on my site. Visit www.amtherapies.com to make that wonderful resource a gift to yourself and or a friend. You can also follow me on Twitter, and don't forget new skin supplements and beauty products, where beauty and wellness meet technology. Now today, after we come back from doing the wellness news, I'll be speaking with David Fairfield, author of Deep Happy, How to Get There and Always Find Your Way Back. At the end of the program, we will discuss the herb wild oregano and the asana Matsyasana. Now it's time for our wellness news. Okay. Now it's time for our wellness news. <laughs> I guess the sound that, you know, the one thing that's wonderful about live radio is that it is live and there's nothing you can do when things go awry and then of course there's modern technology which is wonderful when it works <laughs> okay the science this news piece comes from sciencedaily.com and this was uh put out uh February 24 2012 new strategies for treatment of infectious diseases now the immune system protects from infections by detecting and eliminating invading pathogens now these two strategies form the basis of conventional clinical approaches in the fight against infectious diseases now in the latest issue of the journal science Miguel Suarez from the Instituto Gulbenkian de Ciencia, Portugal, together with Ruslan Metzgetov from Yale University School of Medicine and David Schneider from Stanford University, proposed that a third strategy needs to be considered, tolerance to infection, whereby the infected host protects itself from infection by reducing tissue damage and other negative effects caused by the pathogens or the immune response against the invader. Now, the authors argue that identifying the mechanisms underlining this largely overlooked phenomenon may pave the way to new strategies to treat many human infectious diseases. Now, upon invasion by pathogens, bacteria, viruses, or parasites, the immune system kicks into action by detecting, destroying, and ultimately eliminating the pathogen. The so-called quote, resistance to infection, end quote, is crucial in protecting the host from infection, but is often accompanied by collateral damage to some of the host's vital tissues, liver, kidney, heart, brain. Now, if uncontrolled tissue damage may have, well, lethal consequences, as often happens, for example, in severe malaria, severe sepsis, possibly other infectious diseases. Tolerance reduces the harmful impact of infection and of the ensuing immune response on the host. Although although a well-studied phenomenon in plant immunity, tolerance to infection has been largely overlooked in mammals, including humans. While there is still much to be learned about how and under which circumstances tolerance to infection is employed by the host, most of what is currently known about the molecular mechanisms underlying the underlying the host defense strategy comes from work carried out at the Instituto Guberikian de Ciencia by the group led by Miguel Suarez. The team is particularly interested in identifying disease-specific tolerance mechanisms on the one hand and also general strategies for tolerance that may possibly be employed protectively to precondition the host to future infections. Because resistance is generally the only mechanism considered in animal and human studies, when the host capitulates to infection, it is often attributed to failure of the immune system. The authors argue that this is not always the case. 
the underscore and underscore the importance of distinguishing between failed resistance and failed tolerance as the cause for morbidity and mortality by infectious diseases. This distinction will dictate the choice of therapeutic, therapeutic approaches when the primary problem is failed tolerance. Then boosting the immune system or administering antibiotics may be ineffective. In this case, enhancing tolerance would possibly be much more effective in fighting infectious, inflammatory, and autoimmune diseases. Now, you have to bear with me. You have to know that while I was going through that, I was wondering what other audio, promo, return type items might fail me this evening. It was very hard not to uh, have those thoughts. But in any event, we're going to see in a moment. Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative Medicine Therapies like Iridology, Kinesiology, Reflexology, Energy Medicine, which includes Chi Light Therapy, Acupressure, and Psychological Consultations has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when Alternative Medicine Therapies with Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. Or call 610-658-0135. Alternative Medicine Therapies. Okay. Okay, and um, Alternative Medicine Therapy in Pennsylvania is sponsoring tonight's program. (laughs) Visit my website at www.amtherapies.com and call our number for face-to-face and remote appointments, 866-472-6094. Now you're hearing us live from the Internet. And again, to call into the program and ask a question of my guest, call 619-789-6835. Now, my guest this evening is Peter Fairfield. He's the author of Deep Happy, How to Get There and Always Find Your Way Back. Now, excuse me. He's taught meditation, Qigong, Chinese medicine, acupuncture, east-west neuroenergetic physiology, German homeopathy, and other transformational systems. He's studied spiritual and healing systems in Nepal, Tibet, India, Thailand, and China, and worked with many great Tibetan lamas and yogis. He has been the acupuncturist at the Esalen Institute, founded an acupuncture school, taught acupuncture to the doctor of the King of Bhutan, and toured with Pink Floyd and other celebrities. I know you weren't ready for that one. At one time, he was also a biofeedback therapist at UCLA. Okay, good evening, Peter Fairfield. How are you this evening? I'm I'm doing great. How are you? you know, I'm not even sure what city you're in in this in this cyber world. Well, Where I'm are you in located? A, what what time is it there? I'm in an area called the Main Line out here in Pennsylvania. So that's oh, the suburb southeast southwest of Philadelphia. I have a lot of clients in that area. Ah, okay. And now what can you tell us about where you're from and what it was like growing up and then how you got into all of this? Okay, and by the way, I'd like to put a caveat. You know, you just talked about the immune system. Before we get off the air, if you're interested, I'd like to add a fourth function of the immune system, which is the intelligence of the infected process. Ah. So start at the beginning, but, but if we could end there, I have some interesting things I, I think you might be interested in. Anyway, okay, sure. um, I was born in New York City. I grew oh. up in Chicago and Detroit, and um, I was always interested in spiritual things, although I didn't know that's what it was. <laughs> and when I was about eight or nine, my mom or somebody told me about infinity. And I couldn't figure it out. You know, the, the, the definition I got was that something never began or ended. So I, I just didn't make any sense to me. So 
at that age, I, I, I decided I would try to experience infinity. I would try to go to the place that neither began nor ended. And, I, I, you know, several times a day, or, uh, you know, it's kind of vague right now, but, but, but periodically I would um, try to go there. And one, one day after a few months I got there. And I went, oh. Well, many years later when I was doing retreat in the Himalayas, I realized that that had been a bridge from another time and place into this life because those are, you know, if, if, if you call not, if you call infinity non-duality, all of a sudden you get what the experience was. It, it was the place out of time and space. And so as a little boy, that experience triggered me um, into a whole realm of perception that I didn't even know what it was until much later. I just knew whenever the word infinity was, was up, I would look at it, or when there was a, something that was very spacious and open, I knew maybe there was something for me. And, you know, like many people, when I was about 15, I, I started to have this, this desire. I, I felt like something was missing, and I had to find it. And I looked in psychology, and it wasn't there, although later I, I see aspects of it. And uh, for me, and, and I looked in philosophy, and it wasn't there. And, you know, during the, the 60s, I, I looked into drug, sex, and rock and roll. I was hoping it would be there. I spent a lot of extra time just to make sure. But it wasn't quite there either. And, and when I was about 18, I, I discovered meditation. And um, so I'm 63, so it's, it's been, what's that, 45 years or something um, that I've been you know, researching that. And so shortly after I began to, to, to look at meditative states and alternative states and different practices, I began to wonder what was happening in the body. And I'd already started to study different healing systems and acupuncture. I started to learn acupuncture in the very, very early 70s. I think I've done that almost 40 years now. And um, so I was always interested in the physiology, first Eastern physiology, then Western physiology. What was going on? And um, so my, my whole life really has been trying to figure out, you know, what a human was <laughs> and, and then how to be happy and then what, what worked and what didn't work as far as resolving that process. And so that's, that's kind of what I've been doing. And now I live in, in uh, Northern California. I've been out here a long time. I, I, I did spend uh, seven years in Nepal. I had a clinic in, in a Tibetan town just outside Kathmandu called Bodhanath. Hmm. And um, my practice was about half Tibetan lamas and yogis and people that had come from all over the world to study. So I was able to really look at what the practices were doing. In Chinese medicine, we have pulse diagnosis. So using pulse diagnosis... I was able to take the pulses of these great lamas and eventually discovered a pulse of enlightenment and I began to sort of piece together, you know, how to uncover this innate presence that we call enlightenment or we call the, you know, deep happy. And now, now I'm, I'm sitting on a deck looking out over San Francisco Bay. I live in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. And um, so I guess, I guess we're caught up. <laughs> Very good, and, 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 and my goodness, that that you covered a lot of territory in just a couple of minutes there too. Um, now, I, I I know people you alluded to it very briefly, uh, but deep happy. What do you mean well, deep by happy, deep happy? Well, deep happy is is the title of my new book, and um, you know. 40 years of being a healer of various kinds and various disciplines and, and looking at transformation and, you know, 45 years of trying to, you know, be, be less crazy myself, I, I, I began to, to find certain things that I thought were true and so certain things that seemed to help people and certain realities that seemed to work for, for people that were kind of a foundation of what the work could be. And um, when I was in Nepal, as I said, the Tibetans have a thing called a three-year retreat, and it takes a number of years of study to get ready. And then once, you're, once you go into that, it's very 12 to 18 hours a day of very intense practices for three years, three months, and three days. And that's really what it takes to become a, a teacher in that tradition. Um, you, you, know, you study, and, and you get all the intellect, but then you spend this inc incredibly intense time dissolving the physical and, and bringing up the spiritual. But what I found was, is that if people had, say, an unpleasant personality going in to the three-year retreat, surprisingly, sometimes they, they might still have an unpleasant personality coming out. But something about them shimmered. There, there, there was something inside them that was magical, crystalline, and kind of that, this energetic purity. 
And uh, you know, almost everybody that went through that, you, you could begin to see that if you looked for it. And so I, I, I asked myself, what is that? Well, what I realized, that's the Buddha nature. That's the Christ consciousness. That's the spirit. That's the part of us that lives inside the spacesuit we call our bodies. And so, you know, when, when we talk about being spiritual, this is a word that's banded around so much, you know. It, and it, it, we often don't really think, what does it mean to be spiritual? But what, what from I think it means is to the expression of that shimmer inside us into the world through our bodies and through our consciousness and through our hearts, particularly since that's the organ of expression from the non-dual into the dual. And so um, deep happy is, a, I mean, I, I have 40 years of very technical stuff, but deep happy is not a technical book at all. It was written for everybody. And it's about how to find that place inside you that everybody has that's already happy. It's just fine. No matter how terrible we feel, no matter how suicidal or dark or angry or frustrated or hungry, whatever it is, there is still a part of us in everybody, right inside, that's already happy. Because that part of us is what's connected to the whole. It's connected to the whole universe. It's connected to everything. Now people say, well, you know, I'm just this little person. I, I don't have any meaning in my life. I'm not happy. I'm probably not a good person. I kicked a dog and said something bad to a, to a crippled person the other day. Who knows? But, I, I mean, how, how can I be connected to the universe? Well, we are. Because as soon as you look into science or spiritual uh, teachings, you find that wh when you look at whatever solid, that as you dissect it, and this, I'm, you know, everybody says this, what you find is there's nothing there but space. You know, you take a piece of wood and it's fibers and then it's molecules and atoms and then particles. It never stops. You, there's, there's never the smallest particle that where, where it stops. It's just more space. So what we realize is, is that things seem so solid, but yet nothing is solid. Everything is just energy and, and, and the, the, the condensation of what we call form. And so w w w when we when we realize that time and space are not the real part of us. That means that everything in the infinite universe is always connected all the time because it's connected with pure consciousness. And it's only our habitual thinking that limits us from the expanse of that immensity. So deep happy is about the simple process of uncovering that, finding the place inside you, healing the places that, that keep us or, or that, keep, that keep, keep us in the in the habit of not being in deep happy, how to dissolve them, and then all the different parts and how to do that. And then it's about how to communicate to the universe once you get there, because the universe is always speaking to each of us. It's always giving us very specific information. If we put it out there, it'll come right back, and it'll guide us wherever we need to go. There's lots of stories about that in deep happy. Well, what, what is really, you know, it's funny. Uh, you have at the... Um after it says Deep Happy, that's, which is the title of your book, it's how to get there and always find your way back. And if people aren't thinking right, they'll say, well, why would I want to find my way back when they really are thinking back away, not back to? So it's 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 really nice that you you know you're talking about how to get there and how to always get back there wherever that is or how, how however you um uh, uh, reach it. Um, there you just Humans are innately crazy, and we're innately passionate. So, so you know, we can be in this really serene, happy place, and all of a sudden a football team will win or somebody will mention ice cream or our, our mate will be in a sexy mood or, you know, something, something will happen to pull us away from this fine <laughs> thing. Or, or, yeah. or we'll get a letter from the IRS saying, guess what, you owe us $6 million for a year you didn't even work, <laughs> or, or whatever it is, you know. So as humans, we will habitually get pulled away from this place. And then we, you just have to remember that that place never changes. That's the place that never dies. It's the place that's always okay, and it's inside us all the time. Now, yes, and your book is um, is definitely not a very technical book. It's a it's a wonderful read, and I just want to just quickly. I like to go over the table of contents for my listeners, just to give them a good idea of the. Not only the topics that are covered, but the sense of the book. Um, you have here 15 chapters, <clears throat> beginning deep happy, chapter 1, 
Chapter 2, The Miracle That Is Us, The Big Picture. Chapter 3, Who We Are. Chapter 4, Getting Used to Happiness on Three Levels. Chapter 5, The Art of the Heart. Chapter 6, Asking for What You Want, Then Letting It In. <laughs> I like that. Um, Chapter 7, Suffering is Optional. Chapter 8, Emotions, Feelings, and the Felt Sense. Chapter 9, Intuition. Chapter 10, Relationships and Sex. Chapter 11, Let's Play Doctor, The Intelligence of Disease. Chapter 12, Karma. Chapter 13, Breathing Nature. Chapter 14, Death and Beyond. Chapter 15, Deep Happy, Full Circle. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. The, the, the headings just really take you through the whole thing. I mean, just reading the headings makes you know makes you feel good. It's interesting. Um, is there? Would you mind? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. This hour is going to go very fast. We've already to eight twenty-six. Um, are there certain chapters that you want to make sure we, you know, you get a chance to elucidate on, or? Well, Does it we matter? there's a couple, you know, I, I mean, I think karma's a good chapter. I think death is a good chapter. The heart's a good chapter. I mean, I like all of them. I wrote them. <laughs> Although I have to say, you know, I can say I wrote them, but really it was a sublime bolt of, 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 of energy and a gift from the universe just squeezed through my personality and my history. It was a total gift. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I, I had met uh, Jan Johnson, the, the, the publisher at Wiser, at a Booksellers of America conference a few years ago, I had another project I was thinking about doing, and she liked me, and she lived in San Francisco. She came out to my house a couple times a year for a few years, wanting to know if I'd wrote, written anything. She pretending she wanted acupuncture. So about a year and a half ago, I'd just gotten this idea for Deep Happy, and uh, um, she, she said, well, that sounds great. So somehow in a week, uh, an outline came out, and a chapter came out. Matter of fact, the chapter on death came out first, and three weeks later, I had a check. And uh, so... I'd come down to write every morning. Nothing would come out. Oh, I can't write that. That's not good enough. What do I write? What do I do? So I, I live on the top of a mountain in Marin County. And so I walk, one day I walked well, I, on this path I usually walk, and after about half a mile I came around, and here's this beautiful valley, and then just beyond the valley is this giant Mount Tamalpais, which is a holy mountain in this area. And I just put my hands right at my heart, and I bowed down, and I said, okay, what do I need to do to write this book? And I swear to God this is true. In deep, booming, Moses-like voice appeared right in my head. It's not the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so I just burst out laughing because I realized I just made it so serious and so ponderous. Yeah. And then yeah. every day after that, it just came out. Well, now, okay, then, since it doesn't matter to you, there are two that I, well, three that I want to make sure we do cover. That's six. 7 and 13, um, asking for what you want, then letting it in, because I think people tend not to do that as much as they uh, want to do it. Uh, suffering is optional, and then breathing nature. Um, but we can start, you know, wherever we start and get as far as we get. Um, I really just want to give people a sense of what they're going to get when they read your book. Uh, <clears throat> beginning Deep Happy. You know, beginning deep happy is realizing that, you know, everybody wants to be happy. I mean, everything in the universe, is, is a, in, in, our, in our constructed world, is about trying to be happy or about trying not to be unhappy. And so, I mean, I mean there's nothing on television, magazines, newspapers, something that isn't about try, trying to get one thing or not to have something else. So, so the whole point, the, the, the whole summation of the book is it's already inside you, everything you need to be happy. Now, of course, we like to have new things. We like to not feel bad. We like to have our life good. We like to be loved and, you know, all, all those things. But we can be happy no matter what is happening. And, of course, you know, our car may break or our relationship might end or something. I mean, there's going to be a, a certain amount of sadness or disappointment or frustration or intensity. But there's a part of us that's okay. You know, I mentioned the IRS. Three, three four weeks ago, I got a letter from the IRS saying I needed – I owed a $66,000 for two years when I didn't work. And oh, leave them. <laughs> I didn't have any income. I was, I was building up. I was building. I mean, I worked, but I, I had a lot of expenses. So a part of me was going, ah, and part of me was okay. 
And because part of me was okay, because I, I could drop into the deep happy, the, the other part was just sort of, you know, superficial drama that really wasn't too bad. <laughs> and, and, and then when, when, I, when I sort of got a grip on it, it was okay. And then it, then it translates to, okay, universe, because we're all a part of this universe, just like every cell in our body is a part of our body. My, the, the game changed to, all right, universe, how's this going to work? <laughs> you show me. Show me the path out. Show, show me what I have to learn. Show me how I... <laughs> Show me how I can be deep happy in the midst of, of, of this process. Because my book was, I, I think, I think I got that letter the day the book hit the stores. Yes. So, so that was my deep happy final exam. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that's that's what deep happy is. It's finding this place that's okay, and then beginning to live our lives from there. And pretty soon, although there's intensity and drama, it becomes a curious game rather than something that's so heart wrenching. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, th- I think the first chapter you mentioned was asking for what you want and letting it in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like to use the the analogy of a dry sponge. You know, most of us have these sponges under our sink or on top, and if we don't use them for a few days or a week or two, they get really dry and hard. And, you know, if you just pour water on them, the water just runs right off. It, the sponge mm-hmm. has to get used to the water. Loop. And for those of us that have not had things in our life, or that have not given our, ourselves things, or not really honored who we are, or not really honored how difficult things have been and how we persevered, no matter how difficult it was. Sometimes when things open up a little bit, it's harder to say, okay, you know, I deserve something better than minimal. I deserve something better than not enough. I deserve something that really is for me. I deserve to be a little selfish, not in a bad way that hurts anybody but, else, but in a way that's for us. You know, I'm, I'm going to mention something from Buddhism here, but you don't have to be a Buddhist. They just have some, you know, some, some systems that are worth looking at. Um, in, in, in Buddhism, in advanced Buddhism, there's three levels. There's Hinayana, there's Vajrayana, and there's Mahayana, or Tantra. And, and of course, everybody has different interpretations, but so this is one. And the, the first level, the Hinayana, from, from the Tibetan tradition, is about getting yourself clear. It's about being able to sit and be clear and heal yourself and being okay as you are and clarify yourself. The second level in that system is about being selfless. It's about the heart. It's about giving and service. It's about being beyond the self. But that comes after healing the self. And so many of us in this world, we, we want to give and give and give, but we've never taken. We're empty ourselves. So, so we're either giving as a reaction because we're supposed to, which is not a very good, there's not a lot of wisdom or cleverness or sincerity there. So the, the point here is, is that it's okay to heal. It's okay to fill up. It's okay to have something yourself. It's okay to keep something for yourself. Because once we're full and once, you know, once the glass is full, then things just run out. Things just, things just are offered to the universe. But if, we're, if our sponge is dry, we don't have much to give. We don't have much joy. We don't have much exuberance because... You know, we, we, we've kept it away. And then once we decide that we can have something, so sometimes we realize that what we're, what we're letting in is much smaller than, than what it can be. Um, I, I, I train a lot of healers, and um, particularly acupuncturists. And a lot of them have, you know, maybe they had you know, smaller jobs before they went to acupuncture school, and then they worked hard as students for four or five years. And, and you know, and, and when they think about having a living and, and entering the world, a lot of times their thought is way too small, how much they can let themselves make, how much they can charge, you know, and, and, and how big a life they can have, how, how big a clinic they can have. And it's not about the money. You know, it, it, happiness is not for money. But the flow, you know, money's part of the flow of our life. And as we open to the possibility and, and, and create a bigness about what we can have and who we are, and, and then we, we're not pushing opportunities away. You know, um, so many of us have, have programs, programming from our parents, from our, from our family. We should have this. We shouldn't have that. This is important. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure as a therapist you see this too. People live lives that they're supposed to live, not the lives of who they are. And so oh, asking for what you want and letting it in is actually saying, okay, who am I and what really makes me happy? What, what really is fulfilling? What, what, what am I really interested in? 
you know, my son is 17 and a half. He's about ready to graduate from from high school this year, and he's he's got a couple friends who, who, whose parents have just totally controlled their kids about where they should go and what they should do, and these kids are not happy. They're the ones doing drugs. They're the ones smoking too much pot or drinking or whatever it is because they're confused because they've had so much imprinting on them that they don't know who they are. And yet the kids that have been given a little freedom and know who they are, they're not using drugs. They're not unhappy. They're not confused. So as, as soon as we, we connect to who we are and make it okay to be who we are, then we begin to see, oh, I enjoy doing this. I don't enjoy that. I, I, I like wearing a suit, or I don't like wearing a suit, or I like, I, I like eating a certain way. You know, the, the, the craziest people used to be the people that, 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 that worked in health food stores because they all had health problems because they were all eating the things they should eat that are supposed to be healthy rather than what their body really wanted. And so once we begin to tune into what makes me happy, what really tastes good, what feels good, what do I like to do, what don't I like to do, as soon as we begin to like fill, fill in the blanks on those questions, life gets a lot better really quickly. <laughs> Well, now, you studied spiritual and healing systems in Nepal, Tibet, India, Thailand, and China, and, and worked with many Tibetan lamas and yogis. Why don't you interject here something about some of those experiences? Okay. Um, or not. <laughs> you don't sound no, very no. <laughs> no, no, I, I have hundreds of stories in any category you could name. Uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to pick out one that would be useful here. When, when I first went in, in like, well, let's see, it was um, the the fall of 1984. I was I had a this was another transitional year. I was living in the town of Sonoma in the wine country in California, and you know I had a beautiful girlfriend, a great dog, a nice house, a practice, lots of friends. But again, that something was missing. That the, there was a big void where where the, where there wasn't shouldn't be and so i had things but i i I was missing that connection to spirit again and so i i decided that i would i would go to china to study my my father had been born in china my grandparents were missionaries there i practiced chinese medicine i practiced all kinds of chinese and oriental culture so it was time for me to go so uh that following spring i i gave up my practice i sold most of my stuff put a few things in in storage went down to Monterey to study Chinese language, and I had set up a deal where I could teach English at the Shanghai Academy of Traditional Medicine, which is sort of the Harvard of Chinese medicine, in exchange for studying. And so it was, it was very much a retreat. I'd study Chinese 10, 12 hours a day. And when I moved into this house down there, there was a, in the closet there was a stack of books on Tibetan Buddhism. Well, I, I'd always known about Tibetan Buddhism, and I'd done some retreats. I never made a commitment to it. But so anyway, when, when I got to studying Chinese, I, you know, this is what I had. I read the books. And after a few weeks, I started to just feel what I really, really wanted was a spiritual journey. And I didn't think I'd find it in China, at least for me at then. But this voice kept saying, no, no, follow this path. It'll lead you where you want. So one day I was, I just, I was feeling this frustration, and I just made a prayer. Take me. Take me to the place where I, wherever it is I can get to the next level. Whatever I need to let go of, I will. Just take me to wherever I can get to the next level. And these symbols came out of my chest, right out of my heart. And they were Tibetan symbols, and they just flew out into the sky. A couple of days later, I was meditating after class, and this face appeared to me, turned sideways and disappeared. The next day after that, I got a letter saying that all my plans to go to China were, 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 were changed. So... A couple of weeks later, when I graduated from that course, I went to Taiwan. My first day in Taiwan, I met two Tibetan lamas coming down the steps of this museum I visited, and it put this bug in me. And about six weeks later, when I found some other lamas, they had a picture of this face that I had seen, and they took me to Nepal, and that was my teacher. And many people there had stories like that, although it seems kind of wild here in the West. And um, so I had been a you know an acupuncturist and Chinese doctor, I don't know, 10 or 15 years by then. And um, I thought I was good at pulse diagnosis, which is how we diagnose. We feel the pulse and we know things about the body. When I took my teacher's pulse, there was a quality that I just couldn't even think about. And over the next few years, when I felt that quality in, in, in other llamas, sometimes I would feel it, sometimes I wouldn't, even sometimes Westerners who were doing retreats. About seven or eight years later, I was, I was back in San Francisco, and this great llama came to talk, and 
he, he was amazing. He was in the 80s and had incredible energy. And I went to where he was staying a few days later. And when I took his pulse, I understood what I had not understood in all the other pulses. It was the quality of enlightenment. It was that it was infinity. It, it, it was that infinite being without form or, or pretense. And that was the quality that I felt in his pulse. And that was a quality I couldn't think about because it's nothing you can think about. It's only a direct experience. And so from that point on, I understood the teachings differently. I understood medicine differently. I understood the process of, of transformation differently because I realized we're not trying to get anything. We're just trying to uncover this innate being that's already there. And I, in the book, I kind of call it deep happiness. But it's really this place that's already there. So how, how is that for a story? That was very good, and you, it didn't take you much to, you know, remember it and come up and figure out, yeah, that's appropriate, so that's pretty good. Uh, in your book, you have these deep, happy inner practices. you want to um, explain or elucidate on what that's all about? Sure. You know, um, the process of deep, happy is not just for the intellect. As a matter of fact, the intellect is often the, the deterrent to deep, happy. Because, you know, we have these ideas in our head that often have nothing to do with the reality. Um, and any, as a matter of fact, any time your mind is going round and round with these incessant thoughts, that's never the truth. That just means you're, you're disconnected from your body. It's like you let go of the kite string. As soon as you start to feel your body, then you start to know the truth of who you are and where you are and how you are. Because the body is what links us into this time, this plane, and this planet. You know, in the Vedas, the ancient text from India, there, there's a quote that says, the body is the mind. And so much of what we think about in our culture, the brain and all this, but the brain's the body too. But really, the heart of emotions, anger, sadness, fear, anxiety, all this, have very clear-cut physiologies that have to do with the body. Like anxiety has to do with, with, with the, usually the organ of the stomach. And uh, certain kinds of depression have to do with the heart or anger, the liver, and so forth. This is part of Chinese medicine. And it, it's, it, 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 it interfaces what we know about neurophysiology really well. So um, the practices in Deep Happy are start with the most simple thing, which is just breathing into your tummy and beginning to feel the sensation. You know, breathing practices are very common in, in many, many spiritual disciplines, relaxation training, and so forth. But the part that's often not paid attention to is if, say, we're breathing into our tummy, what does our tummy feel like? What are the little micro sensations, the little tightnesses, the little cold, hot places, the little empty places, the little stuck places? And so we start there. And then gradually we begin to find that there's all these numb places in their body that are key, key, key components in keeping a healthy polarity and a clarity about who we are, about our own strength, our own place, uh, and, and our own happiness. So we work a lot on the pelvis, a lot on the sacrum, a lot on the spine, a lot on the heart. And we begin to notice how, how we have these patterns that we learn from our parents, that we learn from the world, that we've learned from trauma, how they're, they're just stuck places in our body that our consciousness is not in. And as soon as we put our consciousness into these places in our body by using the breath and by feeling what the body feels like when we put the breath there. Uh, sometimes if we can't feel anything, we breathe into our, our tummy or our sacrum or our spine. But it, as, as we persevere a little bit and we begin to just notice the area that we can't feel, Pretty soon within that area, there'll be a little dot of sensation. And if we feel that little dot of sensation, pretty soon that opens up to like the whole thing. And then maybe that'll be an ache or a, or heat or a sharp feeling or a dull feeling or a throbbing or any kind of sensation. As soon as we begin to feel that, not trying to change it, but make it okay to just experience what's there. When we try to change the, our body through sensation, we set up a polarity. As soon as we experience with openness and acceptance, whatever the sensations are or feelings or thoughts sometimes or histories in our body, then it gives a freedom to move and then that's what changes it is trying not to change. Very interesting. Okay, hold that thought for me. Folks, you are listening to Wellness Health and with me, psychologist Parthenia Izard here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, 
we will be back with David Fairfield, author of Deep Happy, How to Get There and Always Find Your Way Back. Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative Medicine Therapies like Iridology, Kinesiology, Reflexology, Energy Medicine, which includes Chi Life Therapy, Acupressure, and Psychological Consultations has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when Alternative Medicine Therapies with Parthenia Izard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com. Or call 610-658-0135. Alternative Medicine Therapies. You are listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard, here on Blog Talk Radio. Now remember on my website, www.amtherapies.com, you can preview and purchase the book I co-authored, called 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health. My chapter is naturopathy. Uh, Also, go to the website to find out who my guests will be next week, March 6th, 7th, and 8th. At the end of that program on Tuesday, which is the live program day, we will discuss the herb wild yam and the asana urdva prasarita padasana. We are back with David Fairfield, author of Deep Happy. How to get there and always find your way back. Call 619-789-6835 to ask a question of my guest. Okay. Um, Peter Fairfield. What did I say? Oh, I said David. (laughs) Yes, I I know it's Peter. (laughs) Oh, dear me. Okay, yes. I, I wish you said that before. I must have said that once before as well. Oh dear, dear, dear. Okay, thank you so much. I, when I, you introduced the book, you, you when you introduced me officially, you said Peter. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a Gemini. Actually, I have four planets in Gemini. So oh, maybe I have other names in there too. Oh my goodness! Before we go any further, could you please share with the, our listeners your website and uh, any other contact information you would like to share at this time? Oh yeah. Okay, I, I have a couple. The main website for the book is www.deephappylife.com. Oh, okay. Go to the book there. There's also contact information for me. Um, if you want to help set up a, a Deep Happy workshop in your area, I'm going to be doing some East Coast things. And if you want to set up a phone session with me, I do a lot of one-to-one sessions on the phone with people that are actually uh, in some ways more powerful than, than my in-person stuff. Although if you're in this area, I'm happy to work with you in person. We have a, my wife and I have a clinic, the Center for Health and Happiness in Mill Valley. And also there's a more professional website um, that's uh, peterfairfield.com where I talk about my professional seminars. And um, people can call, if you'd like a session, um, a good number to reach me is 415-377-0862. But pretty much from deephappylife.com or peterfairfield.com you can find that. Okay, good. Now, um, suffering is optional. Yeah. Uh, you know, so 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 many people are so used to suffering that they don't even know they're not suffering. <laughs> One of my very very first patients, I think in 1971 at UCLA, we were working in the pain clinic there. You know, he was this old guy came hobbling in with a cane. We treated him. He got off the table, started walking down the table. He said, "How do you feel? I know better." But he left his cane back there. <laughs> he left his he left his cane against the wall. You know, and so a lot of times we don't know that we're feeling better because we're so used to just being so screwed up. And uh, and then a lot of people use their suffering for, you know, their benefit. You know, it, it's funny. I, I had a sore knee that I'm getting worked on, and so, so I had this temporary handicap sticker. And uh, whenever I put the sticker up, my knee would hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I felt guilty if my knee didn't hurt. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of people in relationships without meaning to, you know, they use their suffering as leverage. Oh, well, I can't go out right now because my back hurts or whatever. 
you know, the, the, the first thing I tell people often, if they've had a problem for a long time, and I think we can heal them, which is most things, um, I say, are you willing to give up the benefits of your illness? Right. And, and the first they think I'm crazy, and I said, you know, I know it hurts, but how many times have you used your pain not to go to some party you didn't want to go to? Well, yesterday. And, and, and how many times have, have you used that to have power in a situation rather than just saying, I want something or I don't want something? Well, I do that, too. And so... You know, what we realize is that suffering is a state of mind. And um, I, I've had a, f- a few times I've had pain in my life, severe. I was in an old motorcycle accident in Nepal, and so something my knee used to give me a lot of trouble. But I found that I could have severe knee pain going on and still be happy. My knee didn't feel good, but it, it, it was just my knee. It wasn't my life. It wasn't my whole body. It was just a sensation that was coming from my knee. And even though it hurt sometimes a lot, it didn't have to change who I was. And when you look at, I mean, I, I have, you know, it was a very small infirmity compared to people that have no legs or, you know, they're blown up in, in Iraq or that, you know, lived up in Biafra. Who knows? Terrible, terrible thing. But a lot of those people are not unhappy at all. I, I used to know all the beggars in Nepal, and, you know, they looked unhappy when the people were there, but when, the, when they were <laughs> trying to get roots from the tourists, they were having a good time, even though they had no legs, they were sliding around the ground, that, you, know, that, you know, their fingers had fallen off from leprosy or whatever. <laughs> It, 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 it doesn't have to change our state if we have a little pain or discomfort. And so, so the whole chapter, and, and it's in the middle of the book, so, so we've had a lot of preamble how to get there. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is optional. Suffering is, is one thing, and experiencing sensations that, that might be desirable are something else. And I, I would say that if you're not happy, it's because your perspective is too small. All you have to do is, is make a bigger and bigger perspective. You know, if, if I have a tack in my foot, and my whole reality is, is focused on my foot, I'm pretty unhappy. If all of a sudden I notice my whole leg in the tack, well, it still hurts, but, it, you know, but it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's just my foot, my leg feels fine. But, but if I notice my whole body, then it, it's just a tack. I still want to take it out, but the rest of my body's okay. And if I notice my whole life and the world and the sunset and everything else that's going on, well, I got a tack in my foot. I can't run too fast with it, but everything else is okay. So as soon as we get our perspective expands, then all of a sudden we realize that suffering is optional, that, that I can find a place to be okay no, no matter what's going on. And, and from that place of being okay in the midst of stress or tension or challenge, that's where creativity comes in. And that's where the universe really likes to speak to us because if we get, if all we have to do is say, okay, okay, universe, things do not look very good at this moment. How are you going to get me out of it? And then wango, you begin to watch and see how, how you, it gets out of it. You know, Yogananda used to leave his house and go, oh, well, okay, Lord, I, I, I need three rupees in 45 minutes for the train. He'd always have it. He'd always have it. And there's lots and lots of stories in Deep Happy about how to communicate to the universe. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick example here. Uh, about four or five years ago, I went to the San Francisco Jazz Festival to see a couple African bands, and... The first band was great, second band was boring, went out to the lobby, ended up talking to the manager of the first band, and they were from Mali, and uh, they were all having malaria symptoms, so I went to their hotel room the next day to work on them. We had such a good time, they invited me to tour with them. They were going to, to this African festival in the middle of the Sahara, about 60 miles north of Timbuktu. Timbuktu is overrated, by the way. It sounds <laughs> exciting, but it's really a dump. But so, so anyway, on the, I was traveling with a friend, and uh, on the way back, we, we were going to stop in Morocco. And about eight or nine years before, I had met a Sufi teacher from Morocco, um, and uh, I, I wanted to find him. And I didn't. I, all I knew was his name and what country he was in. So I said, okay, we're going to do an experiment. We're going to let the universe show us exactly where he is. So I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to land at the airport. We're going to go to the train station, which is right next door. We're going to walk around. And we're going to wait for somebody to say, oh, have you ever been to? And wherever they say, that's where we're going to buy a ticket. So about 15 minutes after we're walking around the train station, this young boy comes up and says, oh, have you ever been to Fez? It's so beautiful this time of year. Are you, you tourists, Americans? I said, yes, we are. And we're just about to buy a ticket for Fez. So we went and we bought a ticket for Fez. Uh, 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 this story is actually in the book. And uh, so about 45 minutes later, you know, the train comes. And I guess there's maybe 10 or 10 cars on the on, on the you know on the train and each each car has maybe I don't know eight or ten you know compartments and each compartment has you know two benches with maybe six people 
so we walk into our compartment and we sit down and across from us on the bench is a very distinguished looking Moroccan gentleman reading a book, Buddha in the Suburbs. So I said to myself, I've got to talk to this guy. So I started talking to him. After about 10 minutes, I said, oh, have you ever heard of a guy named Sidi Amin Costas? He goes, yes, Costas. He's a friend of mine. He lives in Fez, but I, I, I haven't seen him in a few years. I don't have his address. So I turned to my friend I was traveling with, and I said, wow, that was pretty good. We, 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 we got on a train to the right city in, in an hour. It took us that long for, for the universe to communicate with us. So we thought that was pretty good. I said, well, I guess we'll find him when we get there. And, you know, there's no downside. We didn't know where to go. Fifth is as good as anywhere else. We were just we were having an experiment. So we, we thought we were in pretty good shape. The next stop, a, a young college student woman got in, sat down next to me. After a few minutes, she started talking to the gentleman across. And after another 10 minutes, he says, she knows Costas. He's her <coughs> advisor at the university. That um. night, we had his email, his phone number. The next night, he came to dinner. And because he was a mystic himself, he wasn't at all surprised how we found it. So, so here we are, Wonderful. just to get on the to go to the right city, let alone the right train, let alone the right car, let alone the right compartment, let alone in that short a time. That's what happens when, out of curiosity and challenge, you you ask the universe to show you something or to take you somewhere. And all you got to do is let it happen, and that's what the universe does, and it's so amazing. Well, now we're at that point where we're about to, we only have a few minutes before the end of the program, so I need you to share with me some a quick word of wisdom. Uh, I sort of let you go on because I was really enjoying your story there. So the, your words of wisdom have to be a little more concise than I would normally ask. <laughs> Listen your heart. Find what you love. Uh, find what lets your heart sing. Don't do anything in life until you find that. Don't commit to anything until you feel it in your heart. Do whatever you can heal your heart. Learn, le- learn to feel that warmth. Just imagine it's like a little purring kitten on your heart, warm and safe and loving, and let it melt all the density. When you can live from your heart, you're living from spirit. When you can live from your heart, you will go everywhere you need to go and find anyone you need to find. And that's the gift that we give back to the universe, is learning to love and live from our heart. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and you have a wonderful remaining number of hours to your evening. Actually, I have to go teach a deep happy class. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're not at the same time. Yeah, it's almost yeah. 9 o'clock here. <laughs> well, can, I, can I get a sound file of the show? Sure. Thank you so much. This has just been a pleasure. It's one of the better interviews uh I've had it. You're really good at it. Oh, thank you so much. You have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, folks. It is now time for our herb of the day. Yes, our herb of the day today is wild. I'm 
Dr. Shah, who is the author of Therapeutic Yoga, it benefits uh, include toning cervical and thoracic spine, expands chest and lungs, massages thyroid, paras and parathyroid glands, tones the larynx and heart, relieves pelvic congestion, loosens the shoulder and ankle joints. Indications include cervical and thoracic spondylitis, respiratory disorders, asthma, bronchitis, thyroid and parathyroid disorders, voice disorders, menstrual disorders, stiffness of shoulder and ankle joints. Counterpose is the sarvagasana. Now, to practice. You sit in Padmasana, and again, this is the Iyengar way, uh, yoga, the Iyengar way that I use as my resource for the yoga asanas. You sit in Padmasana with the right leg crossed first, hands beside the hips. Extend the trunk up. With an exhalation, lean back into the elbows. Lie back for a moment. Pull on 